Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of The Pulse. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Jeff Frost. I am a second-year resident in physical medicine and rehabilitation, also known as physiatry. My co-host here is... Tyler Murray. I am a first-year resident in the general internal medicine program. Well, you know, I'm sure people want to know what this podcast is all about. So just to let the residents and maybe non-residents listening, the whole point of The Pulse is to provide a venue for quick updates to you residents about important topics, and that'll be the first few minutes of any episode. But then we're going to move on to talk about an in-depth aspect of medicine that impacts residents. I think it'll be really cool and a really neat venue for talking about things that we don't often experience on a day-to-day basis, but that impact us nonetheless. And just to go over the format of the podcast going forward, uh, one of the sections we're going to have is called consults pending. So these are hot button issues brought up by residents to the resident doctors VC. Uh, And we will have a consults pending email, which you can email your issues that we will address on the podcast here. The second part will be event information. So upcoming events like the resident awareness week that was the first week of February, our Makeathon 3D printing event at the Science Telus Center on Saturday, February the 3rd, and events coming up in the future to look out for. The last part will be our topic of interest for the week, so the focus of our podcast. We're open for all suggestions. You can send us an email, Facebook posts, Instagram, spam mail, doesn't matter if Find us in the hospitals, on the streets, if we go outside, wherever you can find us, give us your ideas. This podcast is by residents and for residents, and we want to incorporate all of your voices and hear you guys and what you have to contribute. This is for you. So come on out and tell us what's up. And just in terms of where where you can find the podcast, we'll be posting a link on the Resident Doctors of BC website. You can check our Resident Doctors of BC Facebook page, and that will provide a link. And of course, all of your normal podcast hosting services should be hosting this podcast, so it'll be great to pick us up there. If you have suggestions, email us at podcast at residentdoctorsbc.ca. And of course, if anything comes up during consults pending, email consults at residentdoctorsbc.ca. So thanks for joining us. I'm really looking forward to having these conversations with you. Let's get to it. Welcome to the consults pending part of the show. Here, we will be discussing flashpoints that you, as residents, have identified to the resident doctors of BC. We will be discussing these concerns and letting you know about how we intend on resolving them. Our first consult comes from residents all across the province who have had difficulty receiving reimbursement for parking when called in while on home call. We've noticed this has been an issue in some health authorities, and we've managed to make progress with the health authorities here in Vancouver, who will be sitting down to talk with us about how to best implement a reimbursement strategy. For other health authorities that have yet to agree to a meeting, we're working on that too. That's our one and only consult for this week. If you've noticed an issue with the collective bargaining agreement, or something that's making it difficult for you to fully fulfill your role, feel free to contact us at consults at residentdoctorsbc.ca. Alley. 
Next up, we have our signed off section where we get to talk about issues you have identified that we have been able to resolve on your behalf. So, issue number one that we have signed off from, there was a problem with parking at the Royal Columbian Hospital where residents were being asked to walk long distances in what was felt to be unsafe conditions. We've spoken to the parking manager at Royal Columbian and have managed to secure residents parking spots right against the hospital, eliminating this problem. Next up, we just wanted to let everyone know that the call stipend surplus has been paid out to all residents R3 and above. So if you've been here for three or more years, look forward to a little bump on your next paycheck. And that's it for this week. Next up on our Information Highway Super Tour is the Upcoming Events section. Here, we'll be talking about upcoming events that Resident Doctors of BC has organized on your behalf. To begin with, we have the 4th Annual Tax Clinic, which is occurring on Wednesday, March the 21st in Vancouver, and Thursday, March the 22nd in Surrey. Registration starts on February the 13th, so if you're interested in learning about taxes be sure to sign up. And of course, we recently had our Resident Awareness Week Makeathon at Science World. I hope you were able to make it. If you weren't, maybe we'll see you next time. That's it for this week. Welcome to The Pulse. Our main topic today is technology in medicine and how technology is impacting patient care. Before we get to the really interesting modern things like 3D printing and other exciting technologies, Tyler and I thought we would take a trip down memory lane and look at two technologies that are often undervalued but have had a radical impact on patient care. Just to remind ourselves of how important technology can be in medicine, but more importantly, how important technology can be in improving outcomes in healthcare. Yeah, so technology in medicine. I was really excited when someone told me I could talk about cool tech, and one of the first things that jumped to mind was wastewater management. I mean, when you think about it, what is wastewater management? Well, before like the 1800s, if you look at the historical data, some of the most common factors that influence human mortality rates were common diseases like typhoid, cholera, all these awful things that as modern physicians, we don't even think about. They're just gone. And when you ask yourself, what happened to these diseases? The answer is clean water. Uh, Clean water got rid of a lot of these awful, awful uh, infections and diseases that were really impacting human mortality. Uh, One of the coolest studies I found said that in the modern age, so this is, you know, after we've gotten rid of a lot of the bad guys, implementation of a clean water system alone can reduce mortality by 30% in a population that doesn't already have clean water systems. Uh, That's nuts. That's certainly more than any thing I've ever prescribed, any move I've pulled in my medical career. Uh, I think 
implementing internal medicine junior residents into a, a general medicine team certainly has the opposite effect, maybe in similar proportions. I think we need to rethink a couple of our things we do in medicine and thinking about how the environment around us might influence our patients even more than the drugs we prescribe, I think is the take-home point from what Jeff said. And one of the biggest problems that's facing us in medicine today is the overuse of medications such as antibiotics. Yeah. So antibiotics, another invention, which blew my mind when I looked at the efficacy numbers. And then the other thing that blew my mind was the date of invention. So, I mean, we've all heard the story about how Alexander Fleming discovered penicillin. That was in 1928. If you look at some historical documents, some other people found some other antibiotics a little before that, but whatever. Let's call 1928 the start point. The reality is penicillin didn't reach mass production until 1944, and it wasn't available to the public until 1945. That blew my mind. There were patients that I've seen this week who were born in a world where antibiotics were not available. They were born in a world where a routine pneumonia could be a fatal medical diagnosis. That's nuts. Well, you know what's equally nuts, Jeff? Is that our kids and future generations are going to look back on us and say, you were born before the internet. You were born in the 1900s. It's going to be perpetuated down the road, and we are going to seem just as obsolete one day. I'm really glad my side of the microphone has a mute button because I was laughing quite a lot at that point. But yes, my kids will think of me as a dinosaur. Uh, <laughs> you know, one, one interesting thing about antibiotics, when you look at their efficacy rate, I mean, we all know they work, right? But I took a look at syphilis uh, mortality rates. So pre and post the discovery of penicillin G, which is still our tra standard treatment for syphilis, and uh, mortality rates from syphilis have declined 90%, 90% wow. since the introduction of penicillin G. And that's pretty amazing stat, 90% uh, reduction in mortality that blows our previous point out of the water. <laughs> uh, and the problem that has now arisen from that, I think, is at a whole different scale of issue. Now, after 80 years only of having antibiotics, we've d developed and produced these multi-drug resistant organisms that we are running out of bacteria, uh, running out of antibiotics to treat. Some of the super bugs, the multi-drug resistance, only have one or two antibiotics left on earth that are possible of killing them. There are fewer and fewer drugs coming out down the pipeline because it is so expensive for these drug companies to produce them and we're running out of options. So we're now looking into new fields of technology and medicine to come up with new solutions for these old problems. I think it's absolutely nuts that the 1940s to 2020 maybe looked back upon as the golden age of antibiotics where pneumonia was curable and uh, we all had a great time on the CTU ward. <laughs> So thanks for that interesting trip down memory lane, Tyler. But next up, we have our discussion with Julie Lin Wong. Just a reminder, Dr. Wong ran our 3D printing makeathon at Science World. It was an awesome time. I had a lot of fun coming up with a whole new way of making ultrasound probes work. I hope you get as much out of our conversation 
as I did. So hello everyone, thank you for making it here. We are talking to Dr. Julie Lin Wong. She is a very impressive, award-winning, Harvard-educated physician scientist, innovator, and educator whose life's mission is to use technology to benefit the world. She uses cutting-edge technology to deliver healthcare solutions in diverse environments, from outer space to remote communities with limited access to healthcare resources. She was the first to 3D print medical supplies on board the International Space Station and at the Mars Desert Research Station. So I'm pretty excited. I hope you are. How are you doing, Dr. Wong? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, first of all, we've had our uh, make-a-thon at Science World. It was a great success. I was really happy to see you there. So thanks a lot for coming. I just wanted to, first of all, thank you for coming. Well, no, thank you so much. It was a real honor, actually, uh, to be invited to uh, launch this historic medical makeathon in Vancouver, and we're hopeful that this will uh, be the first of many medical makeathons to come. I do too. But our podcast today is all about technology and medicine, and who better to talk to than you, someone who has printed something on the International Space Station? So that's pretty awesome. So I just had a couple questions just to get your thoughts on technology and medicine. Uh, the first one. What do you think is the most important medical technology ever? So I think the simplest solutions are often the most powerful ones. And um, we really shouldn't overlook um, in healthcare very, very simple technologies um, that are very accessible and affordable for our patients. And so one of the great uh, medical technologies, I think, that, that has really transformed healthcare is the hyperdermic syringe, right? Where would we be without that? We wouldn't have vaccines, um, right? We wouldn't be able to do blood draws. There would be so much um, that uh, would, it would really change the way that we practice if we didn't have the ability uh, to both inject and, um, and draw, um, you know, uh, bodily fluids for, for diagnostics. So it's, it's, I think, a very, very powerful technology that really shouldn't be underappreciated. That's such a cool answer. I know as an engineer, I get really excited about the latest and greatest technology, but I completely agree. Sometimes the simplest and easiest technologies really are the most revolutionary. Neat. Uh, the second thing I wanted to ask you is why should residents get involved with the development of technology or even be concerned with the development of technology in medicine? Well, first of all, it's because uh, residents are developing their uh, skills for clinical practice. And uh, a skill that is required is the ability to adapt to new technologies. Because the reality is, is that Healthcare is very, very different from when I started off in medical school from where it is today. So um, by getting your hands onto technology and becoming comfortable with it, um, and even better, being creators of health technology solutions, that will only empower you as a clinician. Cool. I mean, as a follow-up to that, can you think of one technology that has completely changed medical practice during your own career? <laughs> think about that. So... Um, well, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I have certain biases, but um, I'm very much a proponent of using uh, low cost, which, you know, means affordable um, technology because it, it makes it very accessible to healthcare providers and patients. So, of course, my favorite technology, uh, which I first got exposed to about seven years ago, is 3D printing. And, um, and we're seeing it being applied in so many interesting ways, not just in healthcare, but also, uh, you know, in, in other um, humanitarian applications. So uh, to me, the technologies that are the most transformative 
are um, usually ones that are very, very uh, affordable and accessible because that allows you to uh, to scale it up. That's awesome. I know as a physiatry resident, I've been tracking the development of 3D printable prosthetics. And I find it really interesting to see that uh, patients who previously could never access a prosthetic can, in remote areas, if they can get to a 3D printer, get a prosthetic that could change their lives. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, so um, it is actually really interesting, uh, this whole sector of 3D printed prosthetics. There's a lot of organizations that are involved with it. Um, for those of you who are uh, British Columbia residents, you actually should familiarize yourself with a local organization called the Victoria Hand Project. And um, they have been doing work in a number of countries. And what they've been doing is they have developed uh, uh, designs of 3D printable hand prosthetics. But what they do is they actually go overseas and teach local healthcare facilities on how to incorporate 3D printing to make prosthetics more accessible. One of the um, potential pitfalls of 3D printed prosthetics that you want to avoid is actually trying to do uh, what we call uh, like remote care for a patient. So what I think is not ethical uh, today is to have someone remotely send you measurements of a patient. Uh, you print off a device for them. You've never met the patient, you've never examined them, they've never been diagnosed, and you just make a device and ship it off and you have no idea what happens to it on the other side. So one of the things that we launched uh, last year with actual, uh, funding from the Shuttleworth Foundation was uh, a platform called 3D Like Me. So patients who needed uh, 3D printed prosthetics could actually uh, request it through our platform. And what we would do is um, we would ensure that their prosthetics ideally were made locally, but um, if they weren't able to be made locally, um, they would be shipped directly to the patient's healthcare provider with instructions for use and instructions on how to take a baseline exam and to watch and monitor for any complications. So um, yes, technology is a good thing, and yes, it's making it more accessible, but we as clinicians have to remember that we cannot relax our clinical standards just because the technology is there and can be used. Great point. Um, if I could ask you one more question here, which is take out your crystal, crystal ball, stare into the future, and we're going to keep this pretty near term, but five years from now, what do you think is going to be the most impactful medical technology on the way we deliver care? Sorry, in my mind, there's no question it's going to be uh, drone technologies. So you can think of a drone as basically a flying box of sensors, um, and, uh, and it can carry anything that you want, whether that's a camera, um, it could even carry blood, it could carry an AED device. Um, and so uh, what we're seeing today, right now, is drones being used to deliver uh, life-saving medical supplies uh, faster um, than can ever be done um, in, in sort of through traditional uh, you know, supply chains. So, uh, for example, in Rwanda, if you're a healthcare provider working in a remote clinic and you urgently need blood to save the life of a dying pregnant woman, you can actually request blood via SMS text uh, on your cell phone using WhatsApp. And within six minutes of your uh, cell phone request, a drone carrying the blood uh, typed and crossed for that patient um, is launched in the air. And the drone flies at about 120 kilometers per hour. And uh, as it flies over your clinic, it actually opens up its cargo bay, the uh, blood in, the, in a box falls out with a little parachute. And the drone actually sends you a text message to your cell phone saying, hey, go pick up your blood, it's outside now. And then the drone actually turns around and flies back home, never lands at your remote clinic. And um, so yeah, so that is happening today. 
in a place like Rwanda. And that particular uh, drone startup called Zipline, they've now expanded their operations to Tanzania. So here in Canada, we have millions of Canadians who live in rural or remote areas. And I think uh, we have to start using this type of technology, uh, which is being used in other places, to deliver better healthcare to our patients. I think it's great that we think about these difficulties in delivering healthcare, and especially how they can apply to us in Canada. I have always struggled as a resident with the idea that we have a, a diverse geography and a limited population. So we do get these calls at 3 a.m. from far north, and they need some help, but it's hard to get there. It's neat to think that there's technologies that are being used today that might change the way I answer that phone call three years from now. Um, so Dr. Wong, thank you very much for your time. It was great to hear about how you think the hypodermic needle is incredibly important. It was excellent, I think, for you to drive home the point that while technology will help with medicine, we as clinicians cannot uh, divorce ourselves from the clinical interaction with the patient. It's still the most important thing we do, and I can't wait to see these drones flying around, parachuting supplies all over downtown Vancouver. Thank so, you so much. <laughs> thanks for your time. So thanks again to Dr. Julie Lin Wong. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I felt I learned a lot about the direction that medical technology is heading in. Next up, we thought we'd bring this conversation home to you and have a discussion with a resident who is involved in bringing technology into their medical practice. So we're going to be speaking with Dr. Jordan Farag, who is a third-year resident in physical medicine and rehabilitation. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Jordan's been a pioneer of the use of ultrasound in the physiatry residency program here at UBC. I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, so I'm back here with Dr. Jordan Farag. Jordan is a third year <laughs> resident in physical medicine and rehabilitation, my own home program. Uh, I really wanted to chat with Jordan because he's been one of the champions of ultrasound medicine in physiatry, and that's really kind of changing the way we practice. So Jordan, say hi. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Jeff, and that was a very nice opener. And to say that I'm a champion in ultrasound medicine and physiatry would be a massive overstatement. I should probably preface this entire podcast by saying that I'm a third-year resident with an interest <laughs> in using ultrasound in uh, neuromusculoskeletal medicine. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be on this podcast. Well, you know, Jordan, the whole point of our podcast really is to engage residents who are doing awesome things. And, you know, maybe you don't have the nature publication in ultrasound, but you certainly are a leader within our own program. Well, so. that's very nice of you to say. <laughs> Anyways, you know, just to begin with, what has changed about PEM in our practice during your own residency? Yeah, so um, it's only been two and a half years so far. And the first year that was essentially a complete blur uh, being off service. But I can speak to sort of things that I've seen, at least in our program, maybe across Canada. So um, like we just mentioned, I think in not only in physiatry, but in medicine, there's been a you know, increased use of ultrasound at the bedside, um, you know, in terms of diagnosis, but also guiding our therapies, right? So for us, um, I think a couple of those big areas would be in spasticity treatment, right? So 
localizing small muscles throughout the body that we're trying to target with injections. Uh, and the second would be in sort of neuromusculoskeletal medicine, so um, joint injections, injections of nerves. Um, we were kind of chatting about this just uh, earlier today that, you know, we're injecting expensive drugs <laughs> into small areas that are often difficult to see, right? And Jeff was telling me a bit about a study, you know, um, describing that we're probably not as good as we think with, uh, well, I shouldn't call them blind, but maybe uh, landmark-based injections. So, um, yeah, we want to know that we're putting our, our medicine in the right place, right? Uh, so if that treatment or that injection fails, it's because presumably that medicine failed or was the wrong one for that patient, um, not because we were injecting the wrong place, right? So sticking that toxin uh, in the wrong muscle or, or sticking that cortisone in the wrong area. Um, so yeah, I think ultrasound's like a, a tool that we can add to our thorough history and physicals to, um, you know, add some accuracy to our treatments, it, you know, but it, we have to, I also think you have to be careful about like, you know, how how much we rely on technology, right? So, for example, you're going to inject a bicep. It's pretty hard to miss a bicep in a thin, healthy person, right? And is ultrasound going to add much or are we just going to be fiddling around with it and being less efficient? You have to ask yourself, like, you know, first of all, does the technology make it more helpful? Does the ultrasound actually make this more helpful? And then second of all, you know, even taking a step back, does the person even need a needle-based intervention in the, in the first place, right? Because you and I, we're... We like sticking needles into things. We like doing these procedures. They're satisfying. Oftentimes they're fun. They're interesting. Um, but even going back and, and thinking, is this actually going to help that person? Right? Like, um, anyway, so that's kind of a long winded way to answer your question. But uh, yeah, I think ultrasound is going to be a big thing in physiatry. Uh, it kind of already is. But yeah. Yeah. And just one thing I could tack onto that we've already sp- spoken with Dr. Julie Lin Wong, and she made almost the same point that. While technology is excellent and helps us change our clinical practice, it's not a substitute for good clinical decision-making. And we always have to remember the patient first, not the technology first. There you go. Um, So, yeah, I mean, how do you think your practice is going to be different from someone who graduated in, say, like 2005? Yes. Great question. Um, I don't know what physiatry was like in 2005. I was in high school in 2005. Um, (laughs) But I can imagine that... um, in addition to obviously the ultrasound piece, which we did, just talked about, you know, the use of smartphones and apps, I think, is something that is going to be very different when we finish residency compared to someone back in 05. Um, you know, in our practice, like in physiatry, we focus a lot on the conservative treatments for the patients that we see, right? So optimizing people's function and quality of life not by throwing medicines or surgeries or interventions at them, but also thinking about ergonomics and exercise-based therapies and all of those other non-medicine things that we can use, right? And apps are really helpful in that, I think, at times, right? So uh, a couple examples would be some of the brain injury doctors that work here at GF Strong have um, begun to use like mindfulness-based apps uh, in the treatment of things like chronic pain or sleep disorders uh, and other things. And we know that even from some studies that like mindfulness-based stress reduction therapies can be as helpful as uh, medicine or sort of uh, narcotics and other uh, analgesics in terms of treating people's chronic pain. Um, 
the problem is that usually getting a psychologist or a psychiatrist or some other professional to actually do those with patients can be really expensive and oftentimes it's not covered. So if you could do a $5 app to accomplish a similar type treatment, that could be really helpful. Um, I mean, the studies aren't quite there yet, but we're seeing some early stuff that definitely some of those apps can be helpful. Another one would be an exercise prescription, right? So we're trained in how you give someone exercise um, to treat whatever condition. And, um, you know, I don't know if necessarily patients know what you mean when you say X amount of exercise at a moderate to vigorous intensity. Um, yeah, I think the app piece can be super helpful, but again, um, always thinking about like, does it make things easier or is it just a fancy and more expensive option? Right. So you're engineer guy, like, (laughs) I know you're into the robotics and maybe some of the VR, so uh, visual reality stuff. And I was reading a study that was talking about how like VR can be used for phantom limb pain. So some of that sort of sensory motor feedback and uh, sort of distracting techniques in terms of taking someone's mind off of that pain, you know, but is it better than mirror therapy? Like just because you have fancy expensive goggles, I don't know necessarily that's better than a $2 mirror in treating that condition. Right. So just because we have, it doesn't necessarily mean it's better. Um, yeah. So apps, but I don't know. We'll see. I I think that's a, a really good take home point that just because you see something new, that's cool, like in an article or the internet or whatever, if it's not a comparison based study against an established treatment, Ask yourself if it's really better. Ask mm-hmm. yourself if that comparison uh, study needs to happen. Yeah. Your example there was perfect. Is visual or sorry, is virtual reality actually any better than mirror therapy? It'd be great to know because one is significantly cheaper. <laughs> It'd be a great resident research project for some of uh, the R ones that have just come to the program. It'd be fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so Jordan, just one kind of question I, I was really dying to ask because of I know what you've accomplished in our own program, but. What would you tell a resident who is trying to incorporate technology into their residency and what steps should they take? Yeah, so I haven't accomplished that much, (laughs) first of all. But I think something you're referencing is sort of the use of ultrasound in our um, in residency so far. So working it into our academic half days, which is actually sort of championed by uh, senior residents that came before me. Yeah. but I think, you know, for anyone, any resident looking to sort of involve technology, whether it's ultrasound or something else in their practice, like you got to find someone who's interested in it too, right? So find that staff in your program that has a passion for this and ask them how we can further that passion, right? Whether that's starting clinics, whether that's using it on the ward, involving it in rounds, doing some research around it. Because people who like the same stuff want to collaborate, so try and find those people uh, in your in your program. And the second thing I think for us, um, Cam, Dr. Cunningham, one of our staff, told me this uh, earlier in the year. Like when you have free time, get the ultrasound out, get whatever technology you're using out, and use it on patients. Like we have these little lags in, in time during the day. Someone doesn't show up to clinic, or you know, you have a cancellation. Like get it out and use it and like see what normal looks like, see what pathology looks like and just get comfortable using the probe, right? Um, Because you don't want to be fumbling around when you actually are the the man or the woman uh, in charge with that needle in your hand and you're going to inject, you know, the median nerve or or whatever it may be. So 
yeah, just get it out and practice. And um, that's kind of the approach that I've taken. And we're lucky that our staff and our program director are super supportive of that. So um, I suspect people in other programs would have the same success if, if they were to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Thanks for those tips. But yeah, find a champion. Run with the champion. Yeah. Much yeah. like how you're a champion for resident <laughs> doctors in BC. <laughs> Dr. Frey, thank you for your time. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thanks, Jordan. So if you've made it to the end, thanks for sticking with us. I want to take a second to thank both of our guests, Dr. Julie Lin Wong and Dr. Jordan Ferreg. I hope you've learned a lot today, and we'll be back next time. On the way out, just thought I'd let you know that our music today, in order of appearance, was first track, Blue Circles by Unreal DM, Jungle Tracking by Ping News, Spinning Merkaba by Anchor, Pepe by Verbuker, Indra Import Part 2 by Dimitri Artemenko, Falling Suddenly by Siobhan Decay, Full Moon by Ben Blash, Astral Travel by Astral, Grasslands by Gerdonark, and again, Astral Travel by Astral. Uh, We got all our music from the Creative Commons Mixer website, and they are all used under the Creative Commons 3.0 Open Access License. So thanks to all our musician friends out there. Today's episode was hosted by myself, uh, Jeff Frost, and by Tyler Murray. It was produced and edited by myself, Jeff Frost, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Have a great day.